We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to episode two of the Rotowire Sports Gambling Podcast, sponsored by BetMGM. Nick Whalen, John McKechnie, back with you as we preview week two of the NFL season. Make sure if you're betting on BetMGM, the best sports book, you're using our promo code for this podcast, BetRoto, B E T R O T O. That's BetRoto. You can do that uh, via the BetMGM app or, of course, at BetMGM.com if you're located in a participating state. But Jonathan, uh, you know, last week we had a lot of fun on this podcast previewing week one, but we didn't have any games uh, to look back on. And we'll spend most of the show, you know, laying out our, our leans and our, you know, our biggest question marks kind of heading into week two. But of course we have to recap week one. So I want to ask you, you know, how did your various bets, fantasy teams, all the action that you had going in week one, how'd you come out? Uh, came out. Okay. Uh, let, let's see here. So some, some of the best ball, uh, portfolio looking better than, than expected. Uh, the the Jahan Dotson Devin Duvernay uh, combo uh, for for like the late round receiver strategy that that seems to be panning out well. Um, feel, feel good about the James Robinson your 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 boy uh, exposure as well. Uh, I have a lot of Travis Etienne. Not worried about him, <clears throat> nor am I worried about Mark Andrews or Kyle Pitts. Other guys that that I have a lot of exposure to, even if they they didn't really. Uh, crush it last week uh, thoroughly concerned about uh, my Ezekiel Elliott shares not yeah. not really because of Zeke but I think the Cowboys are about to go to a to the sunken place essentially and I don't I'm not sure if they get out of it and it, it's just going to be tough for them w- without Dak and that I think my my big point from that Sunday night game was that 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 the injury didn't you know, really end the game for the Cowboys. Like they had played terribly basically all the way up to that. So that, that really was like an, a literal adding of injury to insult at the end of that game on, on Sunday night. So that, that was brutal. And then, you know, just kind of from a sheer fan perspective, I don't know if that Monday night game could have been possibly more fun. Like it was so loud in, in Seattle and you could, you could literally like hear it through the TV. It was electric you got all these people in neon green just looking very menacingly at, at Russell Wilson. They are so mad at him. And I, I love that, you know, like that 
there's something to be said for for just having that raw emotion for for actually being mad at Russell Wilson for for leaving. So good on them and for them to come out and get the win. And you know, we'll kind of unpack what that means for the Seahawks uh, for this week later on. But um, yeah, I mean, week one. The NFL always delivers, but that that felt like a particularly uh, good one, like all the way through from from Thursday night, yeah. and then the the witching hour uh, from the early games on Sunday, phenomenal as well. And then it ended with with a game that should have on paper been a blowout for the for the Broncos. It ended up being an amazing game. Yeah, amazing for reasons that we could never have expected. Uh, a cocktail of just ridiculous play calling, clock management, fumbles at the goal line by two different running backs. Um, I, as someone who had some, some rooting interest in, in the Denver Broncos in that game, it was not a, an ideal outcome, but like you said, a great way to cap off the week. If you're just watching, uh, as a football fan, good start for us on a couple of the prop bets that we tossed out uh, in the first episode last week, Aaron Rodgers under 31 and a half touchdown passes. That's one that I've been beating the drum for, uh, of course, did not throw a single touchdown pass against the Minnesota Vikings. You were big on Dak Prescott under 31 and a half touchdown passes. You know, you hate to see it go down this way, but if Dak misses four or five, six weeks here, that one's looking like it'll be close to a lock. You also talked about Justin Jefferson. I think he was eight to one to lead the league in receiving. He's off to a fantastic start. Really all the elite receivers, it felt like maybe with the exception of CeeDee Lamb had huge week ones, but uh, you know, a lot to get to, of course, we'll, we'll hit on some of the, you know, the bigger results from week one and, and try to put that in context as we look ahead to week two. But Look it up and down the slate. I mean, we have kind of a complete opposite uh, week two slate compared to week one that had all these big road favorites. And, you know, we talked about it last week. We knew some of those games were, were going to go the other way. You know, not all these big road favorites were going to win. I don't know if we expected the Bears to win outright uh, against the 49ers. I, I certainly don't think we called a tie between the Colts <laughs> and the Texans. The AFC South is winless after one week, despite two teams playing each other. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at like Circus Survivor, for example, uh, which our, our good pal Jeff Erickson, I know he uh, ponied up and, and bought in on Survivor this year. He took the Bengals, RIP Jeff, but almost 57% of the entries in Circus Survivor were wiped out in week one, which is insane. I mean, the, the Ravens were the most popular team, uh, so they made it through. But the next four most popular picks, the Colts, the Titans, the 49ers, and the Broncos were all losers. And of course, in Survivor, if you tie that counts as a loss. So a brutal, brutal end for those who took the Colts. We'll get to some survivor talk uh, at the end of the show, as we always do. But I, I want to ask you, you know, as we look at this week two slate now, there's, as of right now at BetMGM, we have four teams that are double-digit favorites. The Rams, the Broncos, the Packers, and the Bills. We also have the 49ers sitting at minus eight and a half over the Seattle Seahawks. That number was up, you know, it was kind of bobbing around closer to 10. It's now been bet down to eight and a half. But uh, of all those heavy favorites this week, you know, which is the which is the game that you're most concerned uh, about? You know, one of those teams either not covering or, like we saw last week, not even winning outright. Um, so most concerned, I would say the Broncos, and I, I think that 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 marries up with. Uh, it feels like Vegas maybe hasn't quite caught like hasn't given the the due respect to, to Houston and like fair like it you know it's Davis Mills it's a it's a pretty no name cast of characters down there in Houston, but they're, they're a cagey bunch as Indianapolis experienced this past week. And, you know, I, I think that there's kind of a, a general betting philosophy that, that 
Uh, going up to altitude this time of year, it tends to benefit the Broncos. But I looked back over the last five years, and I think they're they're like 500 or maybe one game below 500 at home against the spread, uh, dating back to like 2018, 2017. So it's not like there's that distinct home field advantage. And I think that some of the problems with the Broncos just aren't going to get ironed out right away. Like Nathaniel Hackett had some concerning coaching moves throughout the course of that game in Seattle. Like they, in reality, like there's Seattle should have had no business winning that game, let alone like, you know, hanging around it. And yet, you know, of course you get a couple of fluky uh, fumbles at the goal line, but I, I, I blame Hackett for at least one of them because, you know, Russell Wilson was, was that they, they had gotten stopped short. That tight end caught the ball like right at the goal line. He's just short. They are not set for that play. You have some timeouts to burn, burn one, get set, call a play where you're comfortable and you're in a good setup. Instead, they just kind of rush the play. Uh, Javante Williams fumbles it at the goal line and, and, you know, the, the game kind of flows from there. So I just, I do not trust uh, Nathaniel Hackett just yet. And I, I think that the rest of this uh, Broncos team kind of suffers as a result. So uh, until we see otherwise, like I'm not trusting them with more than a touchdown, not even against the Texans. So I've put a lot of thought into what happened at the end of that Seattle game. And I, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that I think Hackett was dead set on making sure he had three timeouts, it, you know, in case they either went for it on fourth down and didn't get it or kicked the field goal and missed it. And you understand that logic, you know, you're thinking, okay, no matter what, we're, we'd be handing them the ball at like midfield um, and we could, you know, we could maybe get a stop and, and hopefully have like 20 seconds left and try to make something happen. I think by the time, you know, he kind of forgot that he had to make a decision on what to do on fourth down. And then I think by the time he decided we're kicking it, the play clock was low enough that you can't hustle your field goal unit out there with like 15 seconds left on the play clock and rush a 64 yard field goal of all field goals. Uh, and then of course, you know, had to burn the timeout and it, it just turned to a disaster from there. But I kind of look at that team the other way. Like I, yes, you're, you're maybe a little worried about Hackett's decision-making. I mean, that was, that was Mike McCarthy-esque. I, I think that was maybe yeah. another level up. Uh, Mike McCarthy is just, you know, tearing up watching that game. Like, this is my son. But I, I think that you have to look at how Denver dominated that game, really the final three quarters. You know, Seattle came out hot. They had some scripted plays. I thought they did a really good job of using, you know, backs and tight ends. You had guys running all over the place. It was kind of a, a 49ers-esque look to how they started that game. But, you know, Denver dominated virtually every single stat category when you look at it. And, you know, if you punch in, even one of those uh, fumbles on the goal line, or even if you get just get a field goal out of both of those drives, um, you know, this game looks a lot different. So I, I, I'm willing to pile on Hackett. He deserves it. But I also think Denver, other than some just weird decisions and some weird breaks, played a pretty good game. And they were gashing Seattle on the ground uh, virtually the entire night. So I, I think this is a pretty favorable spot for Denver. But, I mean, give it 10 points. To, to the Houston Texans, it feels like this is the second year in a row where we've just completely written off the Texans. You just assume that they're a free win every single year. Last year, they blow out the Jags in week one, which, yes, it is the Jaguars. But you got to remember, at the time, we thought the Jags might be good. People were fired up for the Urban Meyer Jaguars. Going there was into some week survivor one. juice uh, like on the Jags yeah. going into that game. Yeah, it's. I mean, again, based on how everything spiraled over the next 10 weeks, uh, it seems crazy, but that was... That was a big upset at the time. And of course, Houston went on to lose eight in a row after that. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a similar result this week. But um, yeah, I, I could see the skepticism for sure uh, with the Broncos. I mean, any any trepidation with the Rams covering a big number against the Falcons, Packers and the Bears, Bills and the Titans? 
Uh, I do actually. So the the Rams, I mean, may, maybe it's just a function of that being a standalone game and just the 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 domination that they kind of had to had to endure against you know what is arguably or to me not really arguably the the best team in football in in the Buffalo Bills. But you you'd still expect the defending Super Bowl champs to come out with a little bit more uh, than what we saw. And I think that there are some elements to this to this Rams team in their in their performance in week one that is concerning for, for the longer term. You know, it doesn't feel like they have that established uh, second uh, receiving threat necessarily. You know, obviously, like Allen Robinson was trending on Twitter just because of how much like fantasy angst uh, there, there was. And, you know, forcing the ball to Cooper Cup, like usually like a very good idea. And I think that they'll continue to do that, but that can't be literally the only thing. And I, I don't think Stafford looked as sharp. Uh, you're down, what, 60% of the offensive line starts for, from a season ago. No Andrew Whitworth, of course, uh, you know, suffered some injuries in, in training camp. So that offensive line not looking so good. The run game, very confusing right now with, you know, whatever the Cam Akers issue seems to be with Sean McVay. So, I don't think that this is a quick fix necessarily. And and I know that the Rams have the additional rest advantage over the Falcons here. And I think that that's pretty big in addition to the fact that they're playing at home against a team that just has to travel all the way across the country to get there on a shorter week. But I, I don't trust the Rams with, with over 10 points. I think the Falcons might not be as bad as we're expecting. I don't think that it's really going to show up in the win column too much for them this year. I think, you know, four, maybe five wins is a reasonable expectation for for the Falcons. But they seem like they're at least reasonably equipped to compete in a real-life NFL game in a way that it didn't really feel like they were for much of last season. So uh, I do I like the Rams to win outright. I don't think they're on on upset watch. But I do think that uh, I would be a little bit nervous about trusting them with 10 points. This was a line that when it was posted last week or when it was still uh, pre-week one, this was Rams minus 13. So that, that kind of tells you that that the opinion from the odds makers is soured a little bit. Yeah, I think that's Atlanta looking better. I think it's the Rams just getting railroaded in week one uh, against Buffalo. I'm looking at the total in this game, 46 and a half. Rams have gone under in seven of their last eight home games. Uh, against the total, I I, I kind of like that trend. I mean, we just didn't we didn't see much explosiveness from this Rams offense. I, I do think they make a concerted effort to get Allen Robinson more involved, much like I think we see Devontae Smith more involved uh, against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings yep. this week. But um, other than Cooper Cup, it, it just didn't seem like they had any juice. I mean, the running back situation was a mess. I think if you're if you're rostering Cam Akers in fantasy, uh, you're in full on panic mode at this point based on how that game played out. But uh, I, I think the Rams do take care of business. I just, I, I don't see it being extremely convincing. I mean, they're, they're not a team like the bills where they're super high powered and they're, it's going to, you're going to come away from these wins saying like, this is definitively the best team in the league. Even last season, you know, the Rams at, at really at no point did you ever feel except for after the Super Bowl that this was truly the best team. They had so many ups and downs. They, they tend to win ugly. Uh, and I, I think that's probably what we see uh, again this week. Al Robinson receptions prop, by the way, four and a half this week. Would you got any take on that? Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, I'm, I'm going to go along with with what you were saying there, where that there has to be some sort of correction to this passing game, and it likely results in Allen Robinson seeing uh, groundbreaking take here more than two targets uh, oh. that like he did hey. in in the season opener. So um, I, I think that he definitely gets more involved in it. I think that you know AJ Terrell 
obviously not a total household name, but he is one of the better young corners in the league. Not saying he's going to shut down Cooper Cup, but I think that he's going to shut off enough avenues, enough times to where on on those Matthew Stafford dropbacks, Robinson might be the only viable target uh, available to him in those ones. So uh, I do like the the over for for Robinson in this setup. I think that we start to see a bit of a correction there as as the Rams strive to be a little bit more balanced in the passing game. All right, there you have it. Strong words from John. A.J. Terrell going to shut out Cooper Cup in this game. <laughs> uh, let's get to uh, our first segment. Week two, you know, we did the same thing in week one. Lines that stand out to us. So we're going to start with a couple lines uh, that are just a little bit too high. And I'll, I'll kick it to you first. So give me give me your first line that you're looking at, at over at BetMGM and you're saying, I, I just think this is a little too much. Um, so uh, as our wonderful listeners could imagine not really trusting the the Broncos to cover a big number, at least not yet. And I'm a little bit, you know, again, I'm very, very sold on the bills. I do think that they are the best team, but this line has moved a lot. And I think that, you know, a lot of that has to do with the Titans uh, kind of laying a dud against the giants. Again, that marries up nicely with, with uh, just the survivor carnage that, that, that came from week one. A lot of people had the Titans as well. But the Titans have traditionally played the Bills very tough. They've kind of been a thorn in the Bills' side. Um, either I see this game going one of two ways, where uh, either the Titans really come in there and make this a tough, grinded-out game for the Bills, or the Bills make yet another statement uh, on this Monday night. So this is two standalone primetime games that, that the Bills get to, to start their season. They're on even more extended rest than the Rams will be. Uh, and they just, you know, kind of blow out the Titans, the Titans unable to kind of find the offensive horsepower to to keep pace on the scoreboard. So I, th- I see it going one of those two ways, but I'll still defer to the kind of track record that Mike Vrabel has in these type of games where the second that he starts to get doubted at, or doubted, counted out, that type of thing, that's when the Titans seem to rise up. We'll see if they're able to do that with this current core of players. But um, I think that uh, it's a little bit much to not not so much to trust the bills with 10 points, but to be like the, the Titans are for sure going to lose by double digits. Yeah, I agree. I, I, to me, this one feels like a little bit of an overcorrection. I mean, Tennessee absolutely should have won that game against the giants. I mean, they had multiple opportunities to, to put it away and just kind of some fluky uh, plays at the end. I thought, I thought the, the Tennessee defense actually did a pretty good job in that game, but um, yeah, I, this feels like a little too much to me, maybe a little too much respect for the bills who did lose to Tennessee last year and as look as much as we love the bills I, I think they still need to prove and they, they've got a long way toward doing this with how they beat the rams in week one but they still need to prove that they're not this team that much like last year when they were in a similar position we thought they were one of the super bowl favorites you know they take that loss at tennessee in week six they have that weird opening uh, opening week loss to the steelers they have that bizarre like the, the weirdest loss of the entire season at oh Jacksonville. man <laughs> at the, that was at the absolute height of the urban meyer drama they lose that game and then two weeks later they get blown out by the Colts. So in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking like, all right, the, the Bills, this is kind of a prove-it game for me because it, it is, I wouldn't call it quite a trap game, but I, I would feel a little iffy about picking the Bills to cover this large of a number. And, you know, in, in my, my Pick'em uh, Confidence League pool that, that I'll, I'm sure I'll reference plenty of times throughout the season, I'm being a little cautious with Buffalo. I think there's going to be a, a lot of big numbers on Buffalo this week, and I, I don't want to get caught up in that. I'm going to throw out the the elephant in the room here. I know this is on your list as well. The Patriots are minus two at the Steelers. Uh, the Patriots looked absolutely terrible in week one against Miami. 
Uh, granted, the Steelers' offense, I, I think what the defense was able to do, forcing five turnovers on Joe Burrow and, and obviously winning that game in overtime kind of washes away all the sins of the offense. But if you were watching that game, the Pittsburgh offense was horrendous. I mean, possibly even worse than what New England looked like against Miami. So I, I, I kind of understand where this line is coming from. But to me, it should be, you know, Pittsburgh minus one or maybe make it a pickup. But Pat's minus two. I, I feel like we're being baited here. I, I do too. Um, and, and it seems like the, the public is very much on the Steelers. I think that, Big time. But yeah, it's, it's a very, very like public pick. And that makes me very, you know, kind of nervous. Maybe, maybe, you know, and I, I wrote about it in my article, I believe you touched on it as well, but it's like, may, maybe I am a donkey here, but like, I just don't really see how you can view the new England Patriots in its, in their current form as a road favorite against a at least decent AFC opponent. Like the, this is the the Pittsburgh home opener again, you know, they're, they're going to be without TJ Watt. That definitely hurts that pass rush that, that if you know, Watts there, maybe this, this one is maybe like, he's one of the very few defenders that I think could yeah. have any sort of influence on a betting line. But I think that Watt, Watt was that kind of difference maker. He was crushing it against the Bengals until he suffered that injury. But Minka Fitz, Fitzpatrick still played out of his mind, but but I digress. I just feel like this is an ugly, ugly game, and I think that that's exactly kind of where Tomlin envisions his team being able to kind of figure out its way to, to getting the win, whereas, you know, Belichick, he's obviously like the, the greatest coach ever, but I don't think that that offense with the, with the you know, dumb and dumber brain trust of – uh, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are going to be cagey enough to to figure their way out of that one or coach their way out of a, a wet paper bag. So I like the Steelers to win this one outright and, you know, obviously cover the spread in, in doing so. So, uh -huh. you know, again, maybe over two thirds, maybe even like three quarters of the public bets are going to be on Pittsburgh, but I'm going to go with it. I, I just don't really see it from, from this new England team. They look totally uninspired against Miami and, uh, yeah, I don't see it getting better in Pittsburgh. Bill Belichick hasn't started 0-1 since 2001. Or excuse me, 0-2 since 2001. So there's there's a lot of history on the line here. I mean, New England 6-1 straight up in their last seven games against Pittsburgh. The total has gone under uh, in five of the last six meetings. I, I would bet that it's going to go under again in this one. I mean, this could be like 6-3 to three in favor of the Pats <laughs> yeah. or like 2 to nothing in favor of the Steelers. And I'm not ruling anything out, but... Um, I, you know, I came away from that win over the Bengals feeling better about the Bengals and somehow worse about the Steelers. And part of that was Najee Harris was banged up, although he, he's claiming he's going to play. Mike Tomlin has pumped the brakes on that a little bit. Uh, and then of course you lose TJ Watt for what it seems like best case is probably half the season, but you know, despite being plus five in turnovers in that win, the Steelers ran 33 fewer plays. They had 19 fewer first downs. They finished with 165 fewer yards. And they only entered the red zone twice the entire game. Dang, those are some those are some stats that that would Staggering. paint a picture. You know, without without the plus five and the turnover uh, column, you would assume that's just a complete blowout win for for the Bengals. But the Bengals found a way to kind of tap into their ways of old and and lose that type of game. Yeah, I mean that was an unbelievable loss. I was looking at the the ESPN win probability, which is almost a meme at this point. You know, anytime you're oh, pulling yeah. that up, something terrible is about to happen. And I, I think it was right after the Jamar Chase touchdown, Cincinnati had like a 98% chance to win that game. I mean, the, the the win percentage graph was just all over the place over the the, the fourth quarter and into overtime. Um, I'm going to throw out 
a, another line that I'm a little iffy on. San Francisco minus eight and a half against Seattle. This one, this one was was close to being double digits, like we mentioned at the top. It's been bet down a little bit. Uh, we're seeing some respect, you know, coming in for Seattle. A lot of money coming in on Seattle as well. And by the way, the Seahawks fifteen and two straight up in their last seventeen against San Francisco. I mean, they have owned this matchup that spans, you know, multiple quarterbacks, multiple coaches. I think for San Francisco, um, but it, it's a trend nonetheless. And you know, I, I'm I'm totally willing to throw out last week's result for the 49ers, but it's no guarantee that George Kittle is back for this game. And I thought Seattle acquitted itself pretty well, especially Geno Smith starting what 18 of 19. I think he was at one point in that Monday night game. So I was pretty shocked when I, I think I initially saw this line at Niners minus 10. And I, I, I know we're predicting them to be the better team and you don't want to get too caught up in week one, but that's a, that's a little bit too big for me. Yeah. And that, that's totally understandable. Like, you know, the, the Niners are a team that go into Chicago as touchdown favorites. And, and like you said, you know, there, there were some factors at, at play with the, you don't see a freshwater hurricane all that often uh, in the NFL, but and that's, that's kind of where we were at uh, up, uh, up in uh, Chicago, Lake Michigan last week. I still just think that the 49ers, like maybe they, they're a soft NFC championship you know, entrant from a year ago. I think that, you know, that game, not to not to pick any scabs, but, you know, that was more on the Packers than, than it was the, the Niners advancing necessarily. But the Niners are still a good team. Kittle, that's a huge factor. And, and you know, Trey Lance obviously needs to play better here. But I do feel like there's a chance. I think all the public being all over Seattle, it's be because I think they're captivated by that Monday night game. And what they saw and how much better it was, it went, you know, relative to their expectations. But that's such an emotional, emotionally charged game for that Seahawks locker room. And they were at home Monday night. All the lights are on them. I think that we see a bit of a letdown. I think we see them play a little bit closer to our preseason expectations for the Seahawks here. So the, the question is now, like, can, can the 49ers live up to their expectations uh, that we had for them coming into the year? And I, I do actually think, yes, it. it it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, of course, with, with the unknown. We still haven't really seen Trey Lance have a ton of success at this level, but um, I think that the Niners can still be set up to to take advantage of this one and, and win it convincingly and, ergo, cover that spread. Well, first of all, you should never be comfortable if you're talking spread picks, right? In, in theory, this is 50-50. If you mm-hmm. like a spread too much, that's probably a red flag. I, I'm more worried about the the 49ers side of things. I, I'm with you. I think Seattle, it's almost hard to take anything away from that game because it's such a singular, you know, matchup. It's opening night. Like, I, I think if, if the Broncos had played Seattle in like week nine, it would have been a completely different environment. You know, I, I think it was just so fresh. It's the first game of the year. You know, I know a lot of people said they thought it would be like 70-30 cheers versus booze or 50-50. It was like 90-10 booze uh, mm-hmm. versus cheers for Russell Wilson. I think that was... I think that was probably a surprise to a lot of people. It might've been a surprise to the Broncos and to Russell Wilson, just how hostile of an environment that was. I mean, we saw all these former Seahawks players are chiming in, you know, even yeah. Carol's comments after the game. I mean, it was, I, I think people who followed this for a while, you kind of realize where things were headed with Wilson in Seattle. But I think a lot of casual fans were kind of taken aback at, at how much vitriol there was directed toward Russell Wilson. And, yeah, like and Doug Baldwin tr- throwing, throwing in some Doug tweets. Ball, yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's again, nothing shocking if you've been kind of trailing this story for the last decade, but uh, yeah, it, it all kind of came to a head. So 
I think you're right. I think, you know, we, we probably see some sort of an emotional letdown from Seattle this week, but I just think, you know, eight and a half, nine, if this creeps up closer to double digits again, that's, that's just a lot of faith to put in a team that might not have George Kittle, that doesn't have a starting running back, that has a, a essentially a rookie quarterback who's made a handful of starts under weird circumstances. You can't really take anything from last week. We're still not really sure if Trey Lance is good. There's just a lot of variance here. I, I think this this line could easily be San Francisco six and a half, seven and a half, and I, I don't think that would you – know, I wouldn't really balk at that uh, whatsoever. Let's talk about Cleveland and the Jets, uh, the game you know, the game of the week. Everybody's going to be talking about it. You, know, you, you got to have some talking points prepared for the water cooler tomorrow. Buzzing in the streets yeah, right now. Yeah, everybody's going to be asking who you got, who you got. <laughs> Cleveland's up to six and a half at BetMGM. And I was not, I was not exactly blown away by the Browns in week one. They probably should have blown that game against Carolina. Got, got bailed out with a long field goal uh, at the end of that one. But I, I thought the defense had some just insane letups in the second half. I mean, they, they were owning that game through the first two and a half quarters and then you give up that 75-yarder to Robbie Anderson. That's like the one thing you cannot do at that point in the game. And, you know, some, some concerning letdowns by that defense late. With that said, this is not a great opponent in the Jets. But I, I know you kept a, a really close eye on Jets-Ravens last week. We saw 59 pass attempts from the Joe Flacco raid offense. Um, you know, it, it's just, just a situation where, you know, the oddsmakers are really, really down on the Jets. Because I, I don't know how you're giving Cleveland almost a full touchdown here. Uh, after they barely squeaked by Carolina with Jacoby Brissett, you know, kind of doing the most basic game managing possible. Yeah. That, you know, uh, of in the pantheon of Ravens games that, that I've watched the, my live digestion of that game was fairly limited. Like I, I, I of course have gone back and, you know, watched what I needed to and, and dug into and, and read everything that I've needed to, but like by like halftime, I was so disgusted with how the Ravens had, had played at that point. I just started uh, making uh, crunch wraps. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, with that, uh, you know, uh, am I familiar with the crunch wraps? Yes, I am. I've, I always forget where, where you're at on, on some of your fast food takes, but, <laughs> but good to know that, that you're on the right side of history with that one. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this, this game overall and the crunch wraps were delicious by the way, but yeah, that's a um, th- th- I like how this game is a nice, you know, it, I wrote about it in the article. It's a nice do's and don'ts for how to approach your game plan when you have a backup quarterback starting. Like the the Browns, they went ahead. Yes, J- Jacoby Brissett threw it 34 times, but they ran it more than they threw it overall. Uh, the Jets, you know, obviously a slightly different game flow going on. They're playing from behind, but still you cannot go into a game feeling comfortable with Joe Flacco in the year of our Lord 2022 throwing almost 60 passes like he was playing at Texas Tech or something. Uh, just that's not a recipe for success. I don't care how good your receivers are. It's just not going to work. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that, that this, correct me if I'm wrong, has this gone up from like five and a half, something like that early, earlier in the week? So I'm not not surprised that it's gone in this direction. I think that, you know, that this Browns team is going to be one that benefits from its early schedule here. And I, I think that, you know, that some losses are coming for them because they have Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. but. Right now, I think the Jets the Jets might be wearing the crown uh, of being the, the worst team in football or, or close to it. They, they really seem like a, a sorry bunch. I was not impressed with them. I, I don't take any like real positives away on the, on the Ravens' side for, for going into the Meadowlands and beating them. So this is a bad Jets team. They're going on the road to, to Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland wins by a touchdown. So it, it feels like a lot of points to be trusting, 
with Jacoby Brissett. So, you know, it, it's certainly not one of my best bets of the week. But at the same time, I, I see a lot more ways in which the Browns just kind of suffocate and, and cover uh, than the Jets, you know, making this one interesting or, or let alone coming away with the win. Yeah, I think the thing for me is just the Jets did a really good job, I thought, slowing down the Ravens' rushing attack. And, you know, I know the Ravens are down their, their top two running backs, but uh, that that told me a lot, I think, about that defense, you know, forcing Lamar to do it through the air, which, of course, he had no issue uh, doing. But, uh, you know, if you, if you have similar success against Cleveland, I don't think Jacoby Brissett is capable of airing it out uh, the way that Lamar was to, to give Baltimore that win in week one. So I'm keeping an eye there. I mean, if it – if it stays under seven, yeah, I'm comfortable with it. Cleveland probably wins by at least a touchdown. But if it gets to seven, that's that's uh, becoming in the stay-away zone for me. Uh, let's talk Tampa, New Orleans quickly. And then uh, you know, then, then we'll do the read uh, before we oh, get yeah. into uh, some People more topics waiting. here. But that's the last one that, that we have as kind of a crossover on our list here. Uh, Tampa, minus two and a half at New Orleans. Uh, I, I played some guest the lines with Jeff on the XM show earlier this week, just made a complete fool of myself with this one. I think I guess like New Orleans, two and a half, just, just a huge swing, not even close. Um, all the numbers favor New Orleans, right? They're seven and one against the spread in the last 18 against Tampa Bay. They're seven and one straight up in that span. They've, they've really owned this rivalry for the better part of the last decade. Uh, New Orleans is four and 16 against, uh, or 16 and four, excuse me, against Tampa Bay in the last 20 meetings straight up. I mean, that's insane. And, you know, I didn't think the Bucs looked all that great against Dallas in week one. Dallas's defense deserves some credit for that. But Tampa settled for a ton of field goals. You, of course, lose Chris Godwin. Literally every receiver on the depth chart is questionable as of right now for Tampa Bay. And we expect most of those guys to play. But Mike Evans was hobbled in week one. He's questionable. Julio's questionable. Russell Gage, Rashad Behrman, they're questionable. Leonard Fournette uh, looked like he tweaked his hamstring at the end of that Good week point. one game. He's questionable. And yet, we're seeing the Bucks favored in this game. It's a lot of respect for Tom Brady. I get that. Uh, and I know the line is down. It, it opened at Tampa minus four. Um, and, you know, we should mention, New Orleans did not look great. Probably shouldn't have beat Atlanta in week one. Uh, but but to me, this is uh, it's kind of a rat line, John. No, I, I think that that's totally fair. Like, like you said, history is certainly on New Orleans' side in this matchup. And, it, it you know, it's not just – Harkening back to like the the great Drew Brees years, while, while Jameis was on the Bucks throwing the ball to the other team more than he was throwing it to his own team, Rashad Perriman uh, included in in that one. Um, but yeah, this is this is tricky. I mean, how much can you lean on history when now Sean Payton and Drew Brees are both gone out of the equation? I know New Orleans is again historically really given this team trouble. That uh, I think. The only time that the Bucks have beaten the Saints, it was actually when it counted on their on their way to, to winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah, this is this really is like you said one of the one of the trickier ones to figure out because it feels like on paper Tampa Bay should win this one even with the injury report looking like it does and Mike even with Mike Evans uh, having the history that he does against New Orleans where you know Lattimore seems to really have his number and kind of not everyone else's necessarily. I got to just go with Tampa Bay here. I think the defense is strong enough to where I think they forced Jameis into some turnovers, but this is, I feel sick to my stomach about it. Like, you know, New Orleans at home, um, seemingly being able to do what they do against this Tampa Bay team. Like I feel very bad about it, but when it comes down to it, I think New Orleans makes enough mistakes on offense to where uh, the Buccaneers can convert and uh, get, get the win. So I, I will take 
the Bucks to cover, but again, not feeling awesome. Yeah, if the Bucks win this game, it's going to be ugly. It's probably going to be ugly no matter what, if we're being honest. But I, I just the passing game didn't look great against Dallas. You know, Brady got sacked in a couple key moments. You know, that the left tackle situation remains a pretty major issue uh, for Tampa Bay. But it is true. I mean, New Orleans did not have a single sack against the Falcons last week. And part of that is you have a, an ultra mobile quarterback in Marcus Mariota, and you, you have the complete opposite now uh, in Tom Brady stepping in this week. But uh, this, this one to me is just, I, I want no part of betting it. Uh, you know, the fact that the line favors Tampa Bay like it does just makes me even more uncomfortable. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to be siding with New Orleans, I think, at least in Pickham, and we'll see if I end up throwing down uh, any cash on this game. Uh, real quickly, let's get to a couple lines that are just a, a little too low, uh, and I'll let you lead this one off. Um, so for, for me, there, there weren't too many this week, but I did feel like, and, and this one has moved uh, considerably, um, but I'm so uh, shook from what I saw from the Cardinals last week to where Vegas at home only being five and a half point favorites. I love that. I think that Las Vegas comes in here, uh, you know, very, very similar uh, to or not exactly how, how Kansas City beat them. Like, I don't I don't think it's going to be quite uh, like that. But I love the pass rush combo that that uh, Vegas has. And I think that we started to see them wake up uh, later in the in the second half of their loss to the Chargers and maybe that had a little bit of something to do with the chargers just kind of always finding a way no, no matter who's there, who's in the building to just let other teams back into games. It just feels like a charger move. Um, but still Carr, Renfro Adams Waller. I think Waller can really feast in, in this particular game. It seems like Isaiah Simmons, he, uh, he was getting, I don't really see uh, too often in, in like a national broadcast, uh, a young sort of, not no name, but you know, not, not a not a prominent guy in Isaiah Simmons get flambéed by by the uh, broadcast the way that uh, Greg Olson and, and Burkhart uh, were kind of laying into him. They're like, okay, pretty much every play they they are just exploiting him, and it is working constantly. And and uh, you know, obviously it worked out for Travis Kelsey. I think that Darren Waller is in for a huge game. I'd look at some of his props for this weekend. Yeah, I, and I think on the other side, the Cardinals' offense is just so predictable. And it's kind of bereft of talent right now. I mean, we saw the human Dorch uh, kind of stand out last week. That's how, that's how bad things were getting. Uh, too bad about my, like, eight, whatever remaining A.J. Green optimism I had. That didn't seem to pan out too well. But bottom line, I think Arizona is trending towards a disaster of a season right after extending their coach and, you know, signing Kyler to an extension. Whoops, I, I just don't see this working out. And I think that, you know, this this game on Sunday is like going to be another uh, point along the way in, in terms of seeing where it all went wrong for Arizona. So I love Vegas in this spot. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't love it quite enough to put them in the the lines too small category for me, but I, I like Vegas to win this straight up. I like them to cover in this game. I think a lot of things went wrong for Vegas last week. I mean, Derek Carr was sacked five times. Uh, even Devontae Adams was technically sacked in this game. So six total <laughs> sacks uh, for the Chargers defense. You know, And a couple of those were in huge spots, including one uh, on the final drive of the game for Vegas. Three picks for Derek Carr. And then, like you said, they're still in that game with a chance to win it late in the fourth quarter. So part of that is maybe, yeah, maybe we're just like a little too excited about the Chargers. But I also think the Raiders are a really good team. And that's a brutal week one matchup on the road with a new head coach. Uh, so I, I think they get the benefit of the doubt. And I don't know if the Cardinals do, man. I mean, if they, for one, the Cardinals have no wiggle room because after this, they get the Rams 
next week. Uh, I think we're going to know a lot about the Cardinals uh, depending on how this game goes. If they get smacked and, and lose this one by two touchdowns, I, I think they're officially, you know, they're, they're probably done. Um, you know, I think we can look back and say that's not a fluke what the Chiefs did to them in week one because if they don't put up a fight this week, uh, you, you got to start getting a little concerned, I think, if you're Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, unless, of course, you're holding a Cliff Kingsbury first coach fired ticket, which I don't, I don't even know where you can bet that. I feel like most, most reputable books don't offer, like, odds to be fired. Uh, but they should. They definitely should. I, I think we would talk about that every week if they did. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a little dicey if if and probably when they lose this game to Vegas. I want to talk about Lions Commanders. Uh, I you know I I thought for the most part uh, you know the Lions were were pretty solid. There were a couple of those that were a little too big. I had a hard time you know coming up with a list of of Lions I thought should be bigger. But should the Lions be bigger than a one and a half point favorite at home after putting up thirty five in a loss? Uh, against Philly last week I'm waffling on this one and I'm waffling hard and you know earlier this week I I felt like the Lions were were the way to go in this one and you know when when this opened the commanders were were road favorites so I mean things have obviously changed in the in the public eye despite the Lions losing and the commanders winning in their respective week one matchups but you look at Detroit from last week I'm worried about the defense and it feels like for whatever reason, uh, you know, this just by hook or by crook, you know, Carson Wentz is going to be dragged into competency by the just sheer amount of talent that's around him at receiver with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson looking great. Uh, Antonio Gibson looking as good as he has in quite some time. So I think that that offense for Washington is going to be able to hang some points. I think obviously, uh, the Lions can punch back a little bit. You got Swift. You got Amon Ross St. Brown. Looks like your guy DJ Chark is going going to end up being a nice addition uh, to that Lions receiving core as well. But um, I think that the Lions are just kind of doomed to be playing this like scrappy loser role. And I think that that continues. So I think Washington, and this might be the only time that I like really feel not even decent, but okay enough to, to uh, bet. Washington coming away with a win on the road, but I think that they do it in this spot. And I think we ju- we just see another tough loss for for the Lions faithful who are totally callous to it. Yeah, I, it's hard to hard to uh, really argue with anything that you laid out there. Um, you know, the, the Lions did put up thirty five, but a lot of it was in garbage time. You know, hard to say if Philly uh, might have taken its foot off the gas in the second half of that game. And I mean, my counterpoint to you with Washington would be. It was the Jaguars, so you can't yeah. really take anything uh, away from that. But you got to, I mean, the receiving core especially looked impressive. I, I thought Antonio Gibson looked really good. Uh, Carson Wentz, you know, minus the, the two interceptions, uh, had, had himself a heck of a game. So, uh, yeah, that is that is easily one of the most difficult uh, games, I think, to parse uh, of this week. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to steal from a, a rival podcast, but um, isn't the temperature in a dome stadium technically – uh, typically 72 degrees and isn't Carson Wentz by, by the book, uh, like the best quarterback ever, uh, when the, when the temperature is 72 degrees, something like that. I have no idea, um, that that is very possible. I, I'm not going to fight you on it, but we'll I get our people either, working I on it. either confirm that, uh, nor refute that. But if, if, if those are indeed the conditions inside Ford field, uh, look out. Okay. Uh, something to monitor for sure. Uh, so you won your best bet last week. You had Tampa covering two and a half against Dallas. That was an easy win. Uh, I lost mine. I went San Francisco over Chicago. Uh, it was a slippery slope all week. I, I locked that one in 
in our staff picks column, I think on Wednesday and like an hour after that, George Kittle gets injured. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we find out about the weather conditions in Chicago and then, you know, things spiraled from there. Uh, so by virtue of me losing my lock, that means I'm doing the read uh, again this week. So buckle up. Uh, we, we got a long road ahead of us here for the next couple of minutes. Kick off the new pro football season with the king of sportsbooks. Sign up with BetMGM using promo code BETROTO, that's B-E-T-R-O-T-O, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. All right, here we go. Now the fun stuff. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. You must be 21 years or older to wager. However, if you're in Ontario, it's only 19 or older. So pretty big perk of living in Ontario. This is a new customer offer only. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards are issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. This excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Don't even, I have no idea what that is. I've heard that in so many podcasts. Don't know what that means. Uh, either way, please gamble responsibly. Do you have a gambling problem? If so, call 1 800 Next Step in Arizona. Call 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, and Virginia. For confidential help in Michigan, call 1 800 270 7117. 1 800 Gambler in Indiana. Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, uh, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. Uh, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Call or text the Tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 in Tennessee or in Mississippi. You can call 1-888-777-9696. And finally, in Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, as well as other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Whew. All right. I, well done. I gotta hit. I gotta hit my best bet this week. I, I don't think I can make it through another one of those. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I don't feel great about mine, but oh. or I don't feel as good. As, I, I felt like the Bucks were a layup last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, no, no, no such luck this time around. So I'm, I'm, I'm not wish casting or trying to manifest myself uh, doing that read next week. But frankly, folks, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I am wish casting that. I hope you lose your best <laughs> bet, please, for for the sake of my vocal cords. I, you know, my children, they need this. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's continue our look ahead to week two. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of the big favorites. Uh, we really haven't talked about the Dallas Cowboys quite yet. I think they probably come away from week one not only as the biggest losers uh, on the field, but the biggest losers in terms of injuries. You know, and we we talked about T.J. Watt. You know, we'll see if T. Higgins ends up missing time. Uh, obviously, Keenan Allen got hurt, but Dak. Uh, being out at what seems like at least the next three or four games, if not longer, uh, that's the biggest injury news of the week. And we saw an immediate adjustment in that line. I, I think it opened at like Dallas one and a half, Dallas mm-hmm. two. And we're talking all the way back, you know, in May and kind of sat in that zone. 
but the Bengals even coming off of that ugly loss now sitting at minus seven and a half at bet MGM. To me, that's a fair number. I mean, I, I think the Bengals offense, even if Higgins doesn't play, is going to be able to score. Um, you know, Dallas's defense is kind of the one unit that you look to, to to keep them in the game, but I just, I don't see him slowing down this Bengals team. I, I think they're too good. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think Dallas is in pack it up watch. Um, and it's, we, we haven't even seen them play their week two game yet. I mean, it, the Dak Prescott injury is just so devastating for them. And, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, they didn't look particularly good before he went out in that game. So this, I just don't see how the Cowboys put points on the board unless we, we really get to garbage time in this one. And, you know, I think the, the Bengals can put them there certainly. So I, I think the total is pretty, uh, you know, an interesting one for this one, but yeah, I see the Bengals just covering this one with, with relative ease. Um, I'm not sure if I'm using a road team in survivor necessarily, but when there are some other good options on the board, but yeah, I just Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon. Uh, that's kind of all you need. I, th- I think here, I think those guys are like that trio is going to get it done pretty comfortably against a Dallas team that just isn't going to be able to, to match them to keep up. And, you know, eventually, you know, all those short possessions that I imagine Dallas is going to have, it's going to make that defense tired. And then the Bengals, you know, then it's really all systems go. Yeah, I predicted this one uh, in my picks column, 26-13 in favor of the Bengals. Yeah, I don't think we see the Bengals put up a huge number here. I mean, Dallas's defense, again, did look pretty good uh, mm-hmm. against Tampa Bay, at least, at least you know, controlling Tom Brady through the air. I mean, Leonard Fournette uh, was running wild for much of the night. Uh, but we also saw the Bengals' offensive line, you know, struggle in week one. That was a big part of the reason for some of those turnovers, a big part of the reason it never really felt like they had a rhythm. And, you know, we saw what Michael Parsons was able to do coming off the edge uh, against the the uh, Buccaneers. So yeah. I, I do think Dallas keeps this from getting like completely out of control, but it's, it's like you said, it, if, if the Bengals score 20 points, that might be enough uh, in this game. Cause I just don't see this Dallas offense doing much of anything. Um, let, let's talk, we talked Raiders Cardinals, I guess in the last segment, let's get to, let's get to our teams, uh, the, the, yeah. Colts and the Jags, uh, the Ravens and the Dolphins. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw you a bone here. We could talk Ravens Dolphins first. Yeah. I don't want to bury the lead on, on the Jags too much here, but I get the feeling that you're probably a little nervous about this one. Uh, you are correct, sir. Um, not feeling great. Um, again, I don't think that there's a lot that you can take away from, from the Ravens uh, win against New York. I think basically any team in the league could have done what they did to the Jets um, a week ago. I think, you know, you alluded to it earlier with with the lack of run game that Baltimore had. It's, it's never a good sign when Kenyon Drake, someone that you sign um, you know, very late in the off season is your leading rusher, but, you know, leading rusher with an asterisk, like only 30 some odd yards, something like that on 11 carries, uh, you know, dished out a handful of carries to Mike Davis. That doesn't look like it's going to work out. J- Justice Hill. That's really never looked like it was going to work <laughs> got out. Him. Got him. Yeah, got, done. Um, so, I mean, it feels like history is repeating itself. You know, this is a team that's, uh, I think so well known for its, its rushing ability, but this is the second year in a row now where you're just counting on these veteran retreads and it's not working. And then Juwan James tears his Achilles, uh, and he's been kind of counted on to, to be a stopgap replacement at tackle until Ronnie Stanley's back, Ronnie Stanley, not back yet. So, you know, that, that offensive line in and of itself just isn't going to be able to generate 
quite enough push against this Miami front. Like, I don't think Miami has, I think the strength of their team is mostly in the secondary, but um, I think that in a way that makes it almost more concerning for the Ravens in that they're not going to be able to run the ball against the Dolphins. Like, what does that mean for them moving forward? So they are at home. Um, The secondary looks pretty strong. If they get Marcus Peters back, that's big. Kyle Fuller just went out for the season. Um, But, you know, Marcus Williams, he had the interception. He looked good. Chuck Clark was all over the field. Marlon Humphrey, I still believe, is one of the better corners in the league. So that that's, to me, where this game is won or lost, is how much the Ravens can limit the big plays to, to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. If they're able to keep a lid on it and maybe generate a bit of a pass rush themselves, they're really de- or thin as far as that pass rushing depth is concerned. You know, Odafe Owe and... Justin Houston, like they're two good players, but like they are literally the only outside linebackers on, on the team other than maybe like Steven Means or something. Like, so it's it's a strange roster construction the way they've done it. But all of this is a roundabout way of me saying, I think the Dolphins keep this to, to a field goal. So if you're still seeing it at four on Sunday, I side with the Dolphins. And I might even sprinkle a little bit on the money line as far as the Dolphins go on this one, it wouldn't completely shock me. I'm, I'm, I'm just not encouraged by the way that the Ravens played on Sunday enough to where um, I feel confident in them beating a legitimate NFL team like the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins who also beat the Ravens uh, as huge underdogs last year down in, down in Miami through a lot of cover zero at Lamar. So we'll see how they're able to respond uh, to that because I assume he's going to see more of it on Sunday. Yeah, the Dolphins very quietly, uh, nine and one straight up in their last 10 uh, played a lot of low scoring games. I'd look at the under in this one, but I I'm really on the fence here. I I'll probably back the Ravens, uh, you know, just, just given that they're at home here, but yeah, it's, it feels a little shakier than it should. And Marlon Humphrey, by the way, uh, limited at practice today. So something to keep an eye on in that secondary, like you said, already some attrition for the Ravens real quickly on the Jags. I mean, this is just an auto fade for me. I, they've actually played the Colts really well. Uh, over the last few years, it doesn't really make any sense. We in Jacksonville. That. Yeah, in Jacksonville. I mean, they they play well really everywhere, but uh, in Jacksonville especially. I, I We saw some good things last week, but at the end of the day, it was it, it kind of just struck me as like a same old Jags type of game. You know, Lawrence whipping up that duck on third and long to essentially end the game was just so vintage Jaguars. You know, we, we've seen that from from many Jags quarterbacks before him. It's good to see that he's, he's falling in line. Uh, but I don't know. I, I always basically bet against the Jags, pick against the Jags. If they win, great. Uh, more often than not, that's been a, an extremely profitable strategy for the last like four or five years. Um, but, you know, it, this this one to me is harder to figure out than it should be. You know, you, I think a week ago you would look to this game and say, oh, boy, you know, this should be somewhat of a layup for the Colts. Jags should be better. But, you know, we think the Colts are, are probably going to take this division. And, you know, they fell behind 20 to three against the Texans. And the biggest thing that strikes me in this game and specifically about the Colts is we knew this going in, you know, you and I talk fantasy all the time. They just have no weapons. Like other than Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, this might be legitimately the worst receiving core in the league. Um, And Pittman is really good. And he was great in week one, but I mean, Alec Pierce had the second worst drop behind Christian Watson last week. And, And other than that, it's just, it's guys that even like seasoned NFL fans haven't heard of. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ashton Doolin, right? Like he's a guy. Sure, maybe <laughs> that could Why be you, that could be a totally made up name. No, you're right. My, that is one. Yes, Mike Strachan. I don't know if he's st- like you know he's someone that I I picked like in the last round of of the RotoWire staff dynasty like two years yeah. ago because he had 
impressive athletic measurements coming out of, I forget, like maybe Cal Poly or something. Like, I mean, yeah, this is uh, Charleston. not, char- that's right. How, how could I forget? Yeah, um, <laughs> truly, I'm supposed to be like the college guy, right? But um, yeah, not, not great. Um, you know, that, that does kind of steer me uh, for, uh, you know, I don't have a ton of props that, that I'm targeting just yet. Um, but so if you really want to get a little wild with, with, with your potential return on investment, Maybe take a look at the board for two touchdowns scored for Michael Pittman. If you, if you like him okay. for one on Sunday, there's a chance that if if yeah. Indianapolis has two touchdowns through the air, both of them go to Pittman. So uh, I think we saw a week ago that this this Jaguars front, you know, Trayvon Walker looking pretty good, but the secondary still has some work to be done. And uh, Pittman really the only threat uh, in that passing game. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't mind taking a look at Pittman for two touchdowns yeah. uh, through the air on Sunday. Yeah, I know you like Lamar over 19 and a half completions as well. I, I'm on board with that. I think they could struggle to run the ball again, uh, although we'll see what, you know, what J.K. Dobbins uh, is able to bring to that team. Uh, I, I like Aaron Jones, first touchdown score uh, in, in Packers-Bears. You can get that at around five to one. Um, I think they're going to make a very clear concerted effort to get Aaron Jones more involved after he had only eight touches last week against Minnesota. Christian Kirk. Sticking with Jags Colts, anytime touchdown is two to one. He was far and away Trevor Lawrence's uh, favorite target in week one. That to me was very, very clear. We expected that to be the case, but it was it was even more dramatic, I think, than I expected. So I, I think they want Christian Kirk to be the number one receiver. Um, Trey Lance, 16 and a half completions is really interesting. I have no idea, uh, you know, based on what happened last week, that's just kind of a throwaway game. I think I, think I would go over on that, but... We'll see. I, I Again, not much to take away from last week. And that, that game to me is uh, that could go any direction. You know, I, I, I hope Trey Lance works out, but um, we just don't really have any evidence yet. Um, let's talk some survivor and then we'll do our best bets and we'll do a little college football talk uh, in advance of week three. But uh, give me the team that you will most likely be using in survivor this week. Um, so for me, for survivor, I'm going with the Packers. Um, that, that's another, you know, we, we've talked a lot about teams that are heavy favorites this week that are coming off of losses or shaky performances a week ago. And I feel most confident in the Packers. They, they you know, they dominate that series. Aaron Rodgers says he owns them. We all heard it. We all saw it. We've all seen it for like 12 plus years now. Um, I don't take anything away from the Bears win necessarily. They just kind of like, they played in the mud better than the 49ers did. Um, obviously, the Packers still have some work to do as far as his receiving core is going to go. You know, poor Amari Rogers. He's a returner for us right now. You know, that is just a tough, tough one uh, fr- from Aaron Rodgers. Like a, a scintillating sentence that on, on its surface to a normal person would, would just kind of look like a, a throwaway quote, but uh, very, very pointed. Um, but I, I think that the Packers at home, they, they roll. So uh, I'm, I'm using the Packers in Survivor. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I, I like the Packers to win big on Sunday night. Uh, they would be my my choice as well for Survivor. I mean, if you're throwing out the spread and you, you're just picking a straight-up winner, it's, it's – I mean, I can't imagine what would happen if the, to, you know, if the Packers lose to the Bears at home in Week 2. I, Aaron Rodgers might just retire on the spot. Um, <laughs> so that one to me is it, – it's not a lock. Nothing's ever a lock, but I, I like that a lot. Uh, you know, it's interesting if you look at the the most popular survivor picks as of right now, uh, the Rams are by far the most popular pick this week. Almost 30% of entrants going with the Rams. 
I, I understand it. I, I think I would maybe want to save the Rams and, and use them a little bit later. But, you know, that one, too, it's hard to imagine the Rams dropping that game to the Atlanta Falcons. I would also consider Denver if you didn't use it last week. Obviously, if you did that, you're not even in Survivor anymore. Uh, so you should have them available. Uh, I, I like Denver to win that one outright. I like Cincinnati to win outright against Dallas. I would, if you want to go contrarian and you think maybe one of those teams gets tripped up, I would maybe consider Las Vegas, uh, especially because they have a really difficult schedule and there's just not that many games where you're going to feel great about the Raiders and, you know, kind of kind of kicking the Cardinals while they're down here in week two. I, I would I would think about that one. They're, they're not going to be a very popular pick this week. Uh, yeah, any that's teams, a, or sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's an interesting call because, like you said, when, when such a high percentage is concentrated um, on just a handful of teams, like obviously the Packers are going to be popular. I'm glad that the Rams never really crossed my mind for Survivor. Like they, after last week, I, I think we, we you got to take a wait and see approach. You can't just apply last year to this year uh, when, when it comes to trusting the Rams to, to that extent, even at home. Um, so yeah, I I could see a lot of the lemmings falling off the cliff uh, with, with, I'm not saying for sure, but you know, crazier things have happened. And, you know, I, I feel I feel good about about as good about the Bengals as a road survivor team as you can. But I'm trying to avoid that, especially after last week. I did have one survivor entry. Um, you know, I, we kind of play with kitty gloves in that one. You, you get one strike. Um, but I, I you know, my, my strike comes in week one with, with the 49ers. Um, and then I think, yeah, the Raiders really interesting call. I think that, the, you know, them at home. All the negative stuff that we've kind of established here about the Cardinals, I don't see a way in which the Cardinals win, period. And and no one is going to be on the Raiders, it feels like, when you have uh, teams that, that are favored by that much more, um, you know, whether whether it is uh, the, the Rams or the Broncos or, or something like that. And I, I, would, I would almost, if I was really sick in the head, I would even think about using the Browns this week, honestly. Browns are the second most popular pick right now. So you're not really as much of a sicko – uh, as you might think, John. Oh, That's man, that, it, that hurts. Well, there's just not that many spots you're going to feel comfortable using the Browns, especially for That's the true. next, like, 12 weeks. You know, I mean, Jets is literally the best possible matchup. Uh, yep. So I, I actually understand that one quite a bit. All right, let's go to best bets. Let's lock it up here. Give me your best bet against the spread for week two. Give me the Texans. I'm riding with them. Texans plus 10. They keep this one somewhat competitive. Going out on a huge limb, Texans – lose this one by a touchdown or less. So if this line moves at all, I'm going to keep going with the Texans all the way to six and a half or seven. I don't think it moves there because I think a lot of people aren't paying close enough attention to Mills Mafia. So I will take the Houston Texans to cover. All right. I like it. I like it. I'm not touching that one myself, but I respect the hell out of it. Uh, I'm going with the Packers. It's, it's a big number. You know, you're, you're taking the underdog to cover a big number. I'm taking the favorite to cover a big number. Packers minus 10 against the Bears. Uh, I went 27-15 Packers in my picks column. I don't think it's going to be pretty, but I think the defense plays really well. Uh, I, honestly, now that I'm looking at that, I don't know if the Bears even get to 15 in this game. Uh, since 2010, Green Bay, 10-2 and two straight up against the Bears at Lambeau. Seven of those 10 wins have come by at least 10 points. And really, of all the Bears teams that they faced, over the last 12 years, this might be the worst of the ball. So I think we see a pretty big bounce back from Green Bay. I'm not convinced that, you know, all of a sudden they're a great team. Uh, they, they still have a long road, I think, until they're, they're beating some of the better teams in the league based on 
uh, the deficiencies we saw against Minnesota, but I think they take care of business with ease uh, against the, Ch- the Chicago Bears, as they are wont to do. Uh, but that's going to wrap up the NFL gambling portion of the podcast. Again, make sure if you're betting, you're doing it on BetMGM and you're using our promo code BETROTO, B-E-T-R-O-T-O. That's BETROTO. You can do that at the BetMGM app or on BetMGM.com. Let's talk some college football, John. Right. We, we had a we had a fun week too. Uh, Alabama, Texas turned into a, a much bigger fight than we thought it would. Uh, not going to touch on Washington State, Wisconsin at all. We're just going to gloss right over that. Mm-hmm. I have no thoughts. I don't want to. I don't want. Just don't want to talk about it. Uh, but you know, week three, kind of similar to week two, where you don't have these like massive marquee matchups that we saw a couple weeks ago. But uh, we still get Miami A and M. That's a ranked game. Uh, you know, we, we still get BYU, Oregon. That's probably the featured game of the week. You know, your dogs are on the road at South Carolina, but uh, take me through, you know, the games that you have your eye on from a betting perspective. Yeah. So that this, yeah, the, this is one of those weeks where college football, like just the product itself is going to have to outshine the, the names because there really aren't the, the big uh, marquee ranked matchups. And, you know, a lot of the luster off of the A&M Miami game gets lost because of, a&M uh, falling to App State at home last week. That's an interesting one, you know, with, with Miami coming in as five and a half point underdogs in that one against Texas A&M. That, I guess that, that you know, almost qualifies as the game of the week. Like you were saying, there, there are a couple there. How does Nebraska respond after firing Scott Frost in, in a situation that was so bad that they couldn't even stomach three more losses after stomaching tons of losses? Still couldn't wait till October 1st to, to cut that buyout in half uh, before parting ways with, with uh, old Scotty. And then, d- d- Nick, did you see the clip of Frost uh, sliding down the railing uh, of, of the uh, athletic facility? Yeah, that was. Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, that, that was, was some, like. I, I thought it was like a deep fake at first. I couldn't believe <laughs> that it was real, but it was. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, that. He looked like a, like a high school bully from an eighties movie or something, yeah. you know, th- you know, after like getting detention or like leaving detention or something. But, um, anywho, looking ahead lines that I like for this weekend, I like Ole Miss minus 15 and a half at Georgia tech. I know that Ole Miss has kind of played a, a musical chairs with, with its quarterback room. I think that that is more some respect, uh, and some deference to Luke Altmeyer, but I think that Jackson dart is ultimately uh, the guy for Ole Miss when Ole Miss decides to take start taking things seriously. They've obviously just played Troy, and and uh, I forget off the top of my head uh, last week. So uh, that this is the first like real ish test that they have, and it's here in Atlanta. But Georgia Tech, I, I don't really feel like is equipped to stop Ole Miss. So, and I think Ole Miss's defense is going to to really uh, be a lot of trouble for this Georgia tech team. So I, I could also understand the under in that one. If you get it at 64, I like taking the under on Ole Miss versus Georgia tech. I like BYU versus or BYU plus three and a half at Oregon. I feel like that, that might be a very public side, but um, I do believe that Oregon just simply is a step or two um, behind what, uh, where they were a year ago. I think there's still some kinks being worked out. I think that, you know, we're not going to see what we saw in week one, Georgia against Oregon, but I think that BYU is a very physical team. I know they're coming off of an exhausting game against Baylor last weekend at home, but um, if they get one of Puka Nakua or Gunnar Romney back, I think that they're in really, really good shape here. And I think that they showed last week by beating Baylor without them, 
that they can still get it done uh, regardless of the, of those guys' statuses. So I really do like BYU in this one. They're sacking the quarterback. They're looking good. And then, you know, uh, almost akin to your uh, Jags fadage, anytime that Maryland plays someone with a pulse, I'm going to bet on the opponent. And uh, this week, the Terrapins do have someone with a pulse. They're playing uh, SMU at home. SMU can score points. And we've seen Talia Tagovailoa just really turn into a pumpkin sometimes when when the pressure is on. Uh, he, he's very, very erratic. Uh, he can either turn in these great games like he like he did uh, these these first couple weeks of the season, but any time that the defense is even moderately tough, uh, we start to see him turn the ball over. You turn the ball over to SMU, they're going to penalize you for it. They are going to score some points. So um, I would consider SMU on the money line, and I definitely like them to to cover uh, three and a half in College Park. So so uh, pony up uh, for for that one. Yeah, literally pony up and yeah, pony up for SMU. Um, thoughts on AM Miami? Uh, obviously, AM coming in ice cold, uh, as cold as it gets, having lost that, uh, that, that game to App State last week. I mean, all but knocking them out, you would think, of the title race, a team that a lot of people had as, as a potential dark horse. But can, can they bounce back at home against Miami? Well, they need to. Um, but I, I think that last week was, was so unnerving if you're an A&M fan like you you kind of have to question so many things because there's so much positive momentum coming into the season uh just about the, this team but I think a lot of it was a little bit misguided because a lot of it was tied to this recruiting class and like yes it, it is on paper the best recruiting class ever but what is a recruiting class in 2022 if it's if it's a 22 class they're all freshmen they're all true freshmen like you can't just expect these guys to be your your top contributors, top to bottom. So it's you know as if these guys all stick around College Station, and you don't, and you know that's not a guarantee at this point. Even if the you know the NIL deals are so good that you know that they are going to end up sticking around. But I think for this year, it's a concern. I think that the problem really starts with the offense. I don't think that they're particularly deep at receiver, and I think that you know. Uh, as you as you can imagine, I don't think Haynes King is the guy. I don't, you know, he won the job coming out of camp last year. Looked pretty bad before he got hurt. Hasn't looked good this year either. You have Max Johnson, who I think has the processing speed of like a 2006 desktop. Uh, just really net, just so slow with his decision making in the pocket. Then you have five star Connor Weigman, who I, I guess is not quite ready uh, yet to to play. So. They just they have this stockpile of talent. They don't seem to know how to use it. And I I'm just concerned about the way that this season goes for AM. I think that, you know, that they, they will turn it around. I think they they should win at least eight games. But, you know, I, I think that Arkansas is a better coach team. I think that Arkansas can beat them. I definitely think that Alabama is going to beat them and then some. So that game's coming up next month. As it pertains to this game, you know what? I'm gonna ride that negative momentum. I'm gonna say that Miami goes into Kyle Field. And gets it done as five and a half point underdogs. So um, it got to keep an eye on Miami. They did just lose Xavier Restrepo, the, their number one receiver. But Tyler Van Dyke, he has room to to or time to operate here. Um, I do like his chances of of you know making it work against this A and M secondary. So I will go with Miami to cover the spread in this one. Major is Miami back potential if they win this game. Uh, I think the, the bar like continues to be lowered as to what could possibly define them being back. But I think beating A&M, even after uh, the loss that A&M took last week, 
uh, would be enough for, for that conversation to get started uh, yet again. But good breakdown, as always, my man. Uh, you can find uh, the, the college football uh, chatter in our Rotowire College Football Podcast feed. Uh, we'll keep it at the end uh, of the Rotowire Sports Betting Podcast as well, sponsored, of course, by BetMGM. Thank you to everybody for listening last week. We, we did great numbers. We're hoping to keep this thing uh, building throughout the year. Uh, John and I will be back this time, previewing week three. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.